What is up, everybody? This is DTR Comics Podcast, and I just blew out your ears with my what is up. I'm watching the, the volume thing over on the side, and I was like... Wait, can I talk loud? Is it going to be upset if I talk loud? Um, no. It was just because it was quiet at the beginning. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, we are a comic. What? Man, that is interesting radio right there. People just are like, logging in right now like, oh, I wonder where they're at. Volume right now. <laughs> it's like you get the technical side of a podcast, the thing you didn't know you were here for. Beautiful. Um, and that's all thanks to some lovely people that gifted us mics for our podcast. So we are now a very professional enterprise with seven viewers. So rock and roll. Um, but yeah, we are we are DTR Comics Podcast. Every week we pick a graphic novel, collected work, comp. Some substantial comic book. And we talk about it, or we talk to the creators about their things. And we really enjoy it. I'm Dallas. And I'm T. And we're probably the, the ones that are here most frequently. We have other people come, but they're a little bit more spotty. We are all college students, and so we can't get that mad when people are busy, because... <laughs> We've all got stuff going on. We know how it feels. And that's one of the reasons it's nice that we're roommates, because it's just like, <laughs> well, let's throw something together in our bedroom real quick. For real. We, we have, like, blankets under the doors, and we're talking into our closet, so to, like, muffle all the sound. But this, it's a lot of fun. We enjoyed a lot. We realized as well, we haven't really introduced ourselves much since the first episode, and we've picked up some viewers along the way. You might be interested about us. You might not. You might just be like, oh my gosh, talk about the books. And you can scroll, scrub right through this to when we talk about the book. But T, do you want to start off introducing yourself yeah. a little bit? Yeah, so I'm T. I am a college student. I'm studying advertising or psychology. I'll find out about that in the next two weeks, which will be interesting. Um, I have not been into comics quite as long. Dallas here first gifted me a comic back in the summer of 2018. Summer of 69. And it was a long Halloween, and I read it and really enjoyed it, and very slowly started getting into comics. Dallas was a wonderful guide for that, and so here we are. That's the beginning of comics. I, I like a lot of things, though. I love talking to people. I love talking about things. I have a lot of passions, so it's a little bit hard to like get into it. It's like, yeah. what do you want to hear? Food, clothing, style, rings, sweaters. I realized that rings and sweaters still fall <laughs> under clothing and style. I said the four, same thing four times, so maybe that's what I'm passionate about. But I don't know. We're, <laughs> asking, a lot of things. we're just asking for your elevator pitch of yourself. I um, have an elevator pitch of myself. I basically imagine K-pop meets the Aryan race. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was not like, but. So white, so K-pop, so, so white. white, and that's me. <laughs> What's funny about gifting you the long Halloween is I was on a break from comics right then. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I was on. I had fallen out of comics for a little while. I went on a two-year mission trip, and so I couldn't be reading comics then. And then once I got back, I just—I mean, for anyone that's trying to get into comics right now, you know that like. Mm -hmm you got to find a jumping on point. It can be kind of tricky sometimes. Like comics are definitely not the most accessible media in the world. So I got home and I looked and I was like, oh my gosh, everything is on fire. Captain America is in Hydra. DC is, who even knows what DC is doing right now? I feel like I, it was like the community episode where he walks into the apartment and everything's on fire. And they're all like, ah! 
that's how I felt like looking at the comic scene in 2017. And I was like, nope, just close the door again, close the door again. And so then I bought you the long Halloween while we were in London. And then I, like, I was so excited that you were excited about it. I was like, fine, I'll get back into comic books. (laughs) They're my first I I do remember how many like conversations you had about that. We're like, I love comics, but it's going to be really hard to get back into it. And it's kind of expensive because I know that I love this so much. So I'm just going to go all in and get all these things. And (laughs) we probably had that conversation like six times before you started getting into it again. But I feel like it's been really fun because you, you're super passionate about them and you know your stuff. I, I love them. They're they're my very favorite medium. Um, yeah. Do you have any anything else you want to say about yourself? About myself, I don't really know. T- I, T's getting married in April. Everybody. Oh, I am getting married in April. That's really exciting. Pretty super cool happy. Stuff. Dallas is getting married six weeks later. <laughs> So because we're both trash. <laughs> so if if we disappear in like April and May, and you're just like, well, there goes the podcast. That's why. But I'm kidding. We we want to we keep won't. doing this. We love. We're this. going to keep doing this. It's so much fun. We got to create a backlog, a honeymoon backlog. Um. Okay. Well, I am Dallas Taylor. I am the D of the DTR, and kind of like he was saying, I've been into comics for a while now. When did you first get into comics? Like, how old were you? 16? It was 2013. So yeah, 16 years old. Um, I always loved the characters. Like One of my earliest memories was from preschool when I was four. And we got toy time instead of recess because we were at some old lady's house, honestly. It was like, this old, <laughs> it was like glorified babysitting. Um, but we were there and she had all these toys. And I remember she had this Arctic Batman toy. And I kid you not, every single day I played the exact same game. I'm a neurotic person, honestly. (laughs) I would get the Batman and I would climb him up the wall and I would pretend it was like an ice wall. And sometimes he'd slip and fall. And I straight up would just like wiggle this Batman toy up a wall over (laughs) and over again. All toy time for months. And I remember the the first heartbreak I ever had was when the other boys in class decided it was going to be hilarious to steal all the Barbies and I kid you not, like, crucify them by their hair against, like, the mast of these pirate ships. So you have, like, this morbid, like, what? Barbies hanging there. Like, they're on a crucifix. And the teacher comes on, like, <laughs> what is going on? And then she was like, was like, that's where the trauma began. And she was like, no more boys get toys. And so she confiscated them all. And I was just sitting there with my bat on my hand. I was like, I wasn't involved. I was just playing Batman Climbs the Wall. Please. Please, no. And she took Batman, and I was like, that's my first major heartbreak in life. I have a traumatic Batman toy story, too. Really? What's your traumatic Batman story? I have this Batman toy, and he was freaking legit. You know, they're all muscular. And it was back when it was, like, black and blue or things. But his cool part was he had, like, bat wings. Like, his cape was, like, big old wings, and they'd come off so he'd look like he was flying. He was the best, and I'd fly him all over the place. And then one time, you know how you don't understand cause and effect as a small child? I had my Batman toy with his cool old wings, And I was like, I'm going to deposit this Batman toy for when I need it on top of this lamp that is on. No. (laughs) And so I left my toy on the lamp, which is on, and left because, you know, I don't think heat transference and plastic has a melting point. I don't know anything about that. So I come back for my Batman, and his wings are just glued to this light bulb. He's got a light bulb-shaped wing. And I was traumatized because I loved that toy. Yeah, That was the greatest. And it was like... (laughs) destruction of this thing that i loved 
this and is... it was my own fault. And I think I, I lied about that to my mother because I was like, because you know, as a kid, you're like, I broke the thing. I can't be responsible. Um, so yeah. yeah, the dog put it on the lamp. <laughs> I can't explain it. <laughs> you give me a dog. We're gonna have a dog and bring my little brother. <laughs> <laughs> the little brother put it on the lamp. The little brother's like picking stones. This is totally a rabbit hole, but I also have a doesn't understand cause and effect Toy Story. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is where we're going with this. But I had this little pirate toy when I was little. He had a red hat, a blue shirt, a green vest, white pants, and I called him Rainbow Pirate because, you know, you see him in this colorful outfit and you go, Rainbow Pirate. He was my favorite toy. I played with Rainbow Pirate all the time. You were ahead of the curve and on the homosexual agenda. I was. Like, this is a progressive <laughs> podcast. I I put it all back to Rainbow Pirate. So, Dad, if you're listening and you're like, why is my son a liberal? You gave me Rainbow Pirate as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> but I watched the animated Sinbad movie where that pirate had to fight a troll. And so I was like, that is a genius idea. I would be the troll. And so I got my T-ball, T, and my bat. And I was like... The trolls have clubs, and so I put <laughs> Rainbow Pirate on the tee, and I yeeted the shit out of Rainbow Pirate. Just bap, shattered, and I was like, <laughs> and so I, yeah, I shattered him. I come inside just devastated. I'm like, I can't believe what I've done to Rainbow Pirate. Like, can you fix it? My dad's like, uh, yeah, yes, I guess we can fix it. <laughs> so he like glued him back together, but he was never the same. He's like this hodgepodge glued rainbow pirate so yeah cause and effect toys but so i'm having more story ideas but we're getting farther and farther away from <laughs> we just don't even talk purpose. about the book at this point so yeah my my introduction to comics i always loved superheroes but i decided to actually read the comics when i heard some people talking about the character deadpool mm-hmm. back again in 2013 so i was at barnes and noble as i do and i was looking at books and i was over by the magazines and I saw some comic books, and I saw Deadpool comic books, just single issues. And I was like, "Whoa! I would, I need to know like who this character is. I've, I don't know anything about him." So I grabbed a couple of those, and I grabbed an issue of Superior Spider-Man, which was a weird place to jump on Spider-Man. It was like this alternate. It's this story where Doc Ock swaps brains with Peter Parker, and so Doc Ock is oh, Spider-Man. Can like explain that whole story to me for like three hours? It was long. So that's where I started comic books was like with this weird offshoot story, but I fell in love with them immediately. And so then I looked up where a comic shop was by me and I started going in and I honestly, I just kind of taught myself. Like I figured out when comics came out, I figured out what I wanted to be reading and it has been a pocket draining hobby ever since. (laughs) (laughs) But you love it. I do. It's, it's something that I hold really near and dear. I love storytelling. It's something that I want to do throughout my life. I like this podcast. I love telling jokes, doing some stand-up. I like writing. I love being the DM in Dungeons and Dragons because I love storytelling. And I feel like comics are my personal favorite way to take in stories because they're fast, because you can process both the images and the dialogue at the same time, but they can do a sort of juxtaposition and storytelling that movies can't. So they exist in this really beautiful place between books and movies as a storytelling device that just impacts me the most and I feel like is the most efficient way to get a story to people. And so there's something I foresee myself being attached to for a long time. I have dreams of writing some comics of my own, 
but I know I will be the old man coming into the comic shop in 40 years, still picking up Spider-Man books <laughs> to my fiance's chagrin. Well, that's um, really fun. Yeah. That's way fun. Yeah. That's, that's us. Traumatic toy stories. <laughs> Traumatic Toy Story sounds like a satire of the actual Toy Story movie. It's just that Sid scene for two hours. Oh, no. <laughs> Where he's in the trash can. That gave me nightmares as a kid. Oh, God. <laughs> the sweet the happy child? The that sweet... ain't no happy child. <laughs> a good movie. Um, okay. Well, today... Should we, should we talk about Rock Candy Mountain? Yeah, now? let's... Did you guys put yeah. up with us for ten minutes? Yeah, give an intro to Rock Candy Mountain. So, Rock Candy Mountain is a comic book written and drawn by Kyle Starks. This is the second time we've done a Kyle Starks thing, because yeah. we did Assassination. We did Assassination um, by Kyle Starks. We, Kyle Starks, we love you. We tweeted at you the other day, and you're going to get tagged in this podcast. But we love yep. your work, man. And it was colored by Chris Schweitzer. It says, designed by Dylan Todd. I don't really know what that what I, it means by design. I don't know what that means either. Like Even in the end, it didn't make it too clear. But is, is Kyle Starks the first creator that we've done two of his books i think so yeah i think so because we we almost did another jeff Loeb book but we did not so yeah kyle starks yeah i've read three kyle starks things in like the last three months he's he's pretty great yeah it's a lot of fun like honestly kyle starks might be like the most entertaining of the comics that i've read read in recent times oh, for sure the i mean i was listening to him on another podcast and he just talked about how his comics are inspired by different action movies from different decades, basically. Like, oh, really? And they feel that way, but they're so quippy and fun. Like, every bubble of dialogue is something that I feel the need to read out loud to the person next to me. And, and Like, I could flip to any page in this book, and I guarantee you I could find you something that would make me laugh. So, like... They shave one of the characters' heads, and he says, how can I have lice but not you? And our protagonist said, I told you, I don't F with bugs. <laughs> and he did say that way earlier. Yeah, yeah, like in the beginning of the book, he says, I don't F with bugs. And it's just stuff, like, I literally opened a random page, and there was something funny to read. So he has such a talent for dialogue and storytelling. Yeah, really. And it, it's funny, because you always do want to do that. But you know what I've learned about that? It never hits well when you're like, let me read you this joke on this comic book. It, it doesn't go over well. Like, movies, you can kind of do that. Books, you can kind of read the thing and it makes sense. But comic books, you're never like, this guy says he doesn't F with bugs. And the other person's like, I get it. You know? <laughs> it's really hard because I kind of learned to, like, stop doing that because yeah. I don't think it's helpful. Yep. Every time I tell I totally get that. I feel like comics just... They have this stigma around them that people like. You're like, I read in this comic, like, and then they're. <laughs> See, and I don't know what that is. Is is it just? I think it might also just be. It's like hard to digest this kind of distinctly visual paired with text as just text. You know. Yeah, I feel that. But like, you'd think in meme culture and in the everybody watches movies with subtitles generation that we are. People would get over that, but I don't know. I don't know, but let's let's talk about Rock Candy Mountain. So, like Dallas said, the dialogue in this is fantastic. It's probably some of my favorite dialogue that I've ever read, next to Assassination, which is also by Kyle Stark. So you you know, it's it's really great. Um, it makes it always entertaining, fun to do, fun to keep reading. It really brings you in for that, and 
you're not I, that's one thing that i love is because it's kind of like it is telling an overarching story but it's fun every step of the way mm -hmm. because of all these things that are happening yeah like you never get caught in a build-up phase it's basically a series of events that lead to a final goal that are sutured together with some of the most imaginative and funny characters I've come across. And that's definitely a strength of Kyle Starks we've seen. And I know you haven't read Sex Castle, but I read Sex Castle as well. And so across Assassination, Rock Candy Mountain and Sex Castle, you have a litany of fantastic characters that are just memorable. And they have such specific tones to them. Um, Rock Candy Mountain, for people that haven't read it yet, are is a story about hobos in the 1950s, right? Like late 40s, early 50s, mm -hmm. that are searching for a backdoor into heaven the, via the Rock Candy Mountain. And so we have this world that we're introduced to of hobos that speak their own language, have their own lingo. They have very particular isms to them. We've got FBI agents chasing down these hobos. We've got rail yard guys that want to fight these hobos. And our protagonist has an ability that he gained through a deal with the devil that he can never lose a one-on-one -on -one fight with a man. And so we've just got this action movie across the nation as yeah. these hobos look for their back door into heaven. And it is really fun because it's it's this genre piece of of a period that we're not very familiar with. But then you do have action mixed into it and a little bit of fantasy, which makes it really exciting. Okay. Well, hello. I'm just cutting off tea here from the future to let you know that our mic cut out halfway through the podcast and we kept talking. Or the audio deleted itself. It was confusing. It was basically, as you can tell from this beautiful recording, we have some new equipment. We sound better now, but we're still figuring it out. So, for some we, reason, this, it reminds me of the Tenacious D song tribute where they're like, we forgot the greatest song in the world. It's like, it was too good. The second half of the podcast was so perfect that the universe just swallowed it. It was. And I'm sad that you will never get to hear it, dear listeners. But here we are the day before distribution, finishing our podcast and picking back up where we were with Rock Candy Mountain. So but if it's a small consolation prize, you heard me sing one line of Tenacious D. So, so <laughs> there it is. It was all worth it. <laughs> all right. You want to hop back to you? Yeah, because we were we talking off? about how it's this really interesting world and kind of a genre piece that crosses a bunch of different genres together and so it just makes it really fun for 1940s action religious hobo comic you know it's, it's great <laughs> that's my new tagline <laughs> religious action hobo piece <laughs> <laughs> you always come up with the best taglines for your twitter I, i'm always baffled by that that's me <laughs> my one big talent um yeah i I agree with you. I feel like there is a really fun blending of genre with Rock Candy Mountain, but it has its own specific tone. You know, it doesn't feel like a sutured together mess that other like other things have done when they try about so many genres. This just ends up having its own unique voice that's very clearly influenced by movies, a hist of time in history and just a very specific sense of humor that we both really appreciate. Yeah. And I think part of that just comes from like knowing your source material. Well, I, I imagine like 
Kyle Starks probably thought this through intensely, like moment to moment. Even it mentions this at, at the very end when he was working with his colorist, who I'm spacing the name, Chris Schweitzer. Chris Schweitzer was like, why don't you do it like pre-World War II? And he's like, no, I know exactly what it needs to be. It needs to be post-World War II. Just trust me. And I feel like you see that, like, if 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 somebody asked you, like, I need you to make a hobo 1940s action adventure, like, piecing that together would be impossible. But it's like, he already had all the bits in his mind, so it worked. It's true. Um, something that really stood out to me, and we touched on it a little bit, but are, just like, the characters in all of Kyle Stark's work. And with this being such a specific world, who, what do you think of the characters in this compared to assassination? And what are some of your favorite characters we're introduced to in this week, in this work? See, one thing that I love, and this is the thing that we talked about is the main character, Hollywood slim is rather generic, mm-hmm. but he's done so well so that you can be part of the story. Oh yeah. And so, Yes, he doesn't have a ton of huge character details, but he's just perfect to be like lovable enough so that you actually enjoy kind of feeling part of it, but not too detailed to like take you out of it. Because, you know, I think that's my problem with Harry Potter is like Harry Potter has no character traits. And so I, I did enjoy reading Harry Potter. If I ever start when I just like, blow through it because they're great books but like harry himself as a character just wasn't charming so i had a hard time like identifying as oh this is my stand-in in in this super neat world that jk rowling made Mm -hmm. and it's interesting that balance because something that i recently find out the movie 1917 did this really well as well where they had intriguing but generic main characters that we were able to imprint ourselves on and then go through the world of World War One because the set and the story and just the world itself was so much more rich than either of the characters or their particular stories. And it's a phenomenon that is actually talked about in the book Making Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud, which I've been reading, trying to be better at this podcast, but it's something that comics are able to uniquely do because they also get to factor in an art style and the more simple or cartoonish the art style, the more likely we are to imprint even more so than a novel or a movie. And so again, Oh really? Yeah. Where there's this phenomenon with people where if you look at two dots and a curvy line, you'll see a face, you know, like they're, they've done studies. I wish I could reference them off the top of my head, but he cites them in the book that show that like, it's nearly impossible for people to not see a face when those things exist. And it's because we're an inherently self-centered species. We imprint ourselves on the entire world. And so comics are something that is uniquely an animation. Honestly, the reason animation is so popular is because they're the easiest art form for us to imprint ourselves on. Like It, just, it almost plays to that base desire to see ourselves in everything else. That's really interesting. That's really interesting, especially because I feel like that's one of my been one of my favorite things about comics is because you put yourself in them so much, you get more out of it. And I feel like it's this interesting balance that storytelling has where 
it feels kind of selfish. You're like, I'm the main character. I am Luke Skywalker, and I'm going to take out the bad guy and win the day and save the galaxy. And we feel that like ourselves, but it also like teaches us to empathize with other people. You know, when you tell a story about somebody who you've never been part of their world, but you get to be part of it for a little while. And it teaches us about just like humans and what it means to be human. And I really love that. Yeah. And there's just, there's so many good ways to pull that off. You know, there is the hero with a thousand faces. Harry Potter is Luke Skywalker Mm -hmm. is a myriad of other characters. Right. Or for instance, I've been watching breaking bad. I think I've referenced that a couple of times at this point, but those are really fleshed out characters. They're like, I'm not necessarily ever going to think, oh, I'm Walter White or, oh, I'm Jesse Pinkman. But there can be situations that they're placed into that can feel raw and familiar. And I miraculously avoided spoilers up to this point for myself, so I won't spoil it for anyone else. But there was a really stirring moment in the finale for season three where two characters are interacting in a way that is upsetting (laughs) And they switch POV shots between the characters because they can't very well say you are this character in this situation, but they're saying, they're going to say you're in this situation as both characters, because you're going to get to look back and forth from the people you're going to get to see and feel the emotions. And it was really stirring. It was so much. I turned off the show and I said, all right, we're going to give me a day. (laughs) Need a nap and a shower now. For no, I have to shower after watching TV. (laughs) Well, not that kind of TV. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. I'm just kidding. Dad, the only person that listens to this. (laughs) Okay. But moving on from characters that are outside of, Outside of just this main character, Hollywood Slim, who you imprint yourself on, did you have any favorites? Oh, man. I mean, 100 Cats is a piece of art, honestly. Like, you're open to the right page. I think the best bit of character storytelling we got was in the, like, the cage fights issue. Yeah. There were so many fun characters we were in too. And so 100 Cat is asked... Hey, why do they call you 100 Cat? Because fighting me is like fighting 100 cats. Is that scary? Man, that's like 2,000 pounds worth of cat. That's a ton of cats, my fellow. Scowls. That's like 800 claws. <laughs> like, immediately, personality. You know, yeah. imme- like a good bit, a funny laugh. But this is a character that immediately is impactful. Every time he pops on this, the panel... For the remaining story, I'm like, oh, daddy, here's 100 cats. And even just like minor side characters like Clanimal, that was a <laughs> hilarious bit that yeah. I'll let you discover as the reader. Or this random sumo wrestler. Or... And I feel like it does something so well that so many other th- stories struggle with. You know when you like watch a movie and you're like, that was really good. I can't tell you who any of the characters' names are. Mm-hmm. And if we go back and I have to explain it, I'll just tell you what they did because I can't remember their names. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that I'm ever going to forget 100 Cat. Nope. And when he shows up later, you're like, it's 100 Cat. There's no question. It's not, oh, there's that guy that he fought in the cage match. It's 100 Cat. It's 100 Cat. Yeah. And that that's an interesting point that by assigning a name based on characteristics, we're more likely to remember it. Because I'm mm-hmm. not going to lie, I have a hard time remembering our main hobo's name in this. 
without looking it up. But for instance, Hollywood Slim, he I remember that because he was given this name. And I don't know, that's a very fun a- aspect to this comic specifically where everyone gets their own hobo name. Like, yeah. you're bound to remember it. And it's funny because that actually is a thing. We're going to get just slightly sciencey for a minute. If you show two people a picture of a guy and you're like, this guy's name is Baker. And then you say to somebody else, this guy is a baker. And then you come back in three weeks and you ask people like, what was this guy's name? They're like, I don't know. But they're like, what does this guy do? They're like, he's a baker, of course. It's like the exact same <laughs> word, but you remember it better because we don't do well with names. That's and interesting. So, I know I'm the worst at that. Honestly, I reference my church mission a lot on this, but there were so many times that I'd go and like, hello, what's your name? And shake their hand. And then it was gone immediately. And like, it wasn't because I was trying to be rude. I was super engaged in those conversations, but just in one ear and out the other. And I'd be at the end of the conversation, like, well, nuts. Yeah. it's funny. Cause it's like, why, why is that the thing that our brain is like, nope, we don't need that. But anyway, this whole thing was to point out that Kyle Starks does an amazing job of creating these characters and making them memorable and making them fun. And you don't forget it. Even if they're just the two tramps that don't have names. Oh, talk about the tramps. I love the tramps. (laughs) The tramps are really funny. One of the things about the tramps is it's these, these two guys that just show up at the beginning of one of the issues. And I love it because it's one of these moments that helps you feel like I've got no idea what is going on here but then it teaches you so our two main characters are walking down the road and these two people show up and they're like wait up there fellas we're coming with and our main character is like absolutely not go away and hollywood slim said what the heck jackson these guys look all right he's like they're not all right and hollywood slim says whatever happened to brother hobo brotherhood or whatever those aren't hobos. Those are tramps. They give us hobos a bad name. This seems like a real kettles and pots situations. No, there's a difference. Hobos travel and work. Tramps travel but don't work. Bums don't travel and don't work. And I love this because, A, it just like brings you, it has this fantastic moment of like, you have no idea what's going on, why it's important but you can see that it's important to these other characters. And then you get an explanation with it. So it's just part of this wonderful world building. But then like the tramps just tag along for the issue and are a pain. And they are so unique and different from anybody else that you totally remember them. Yeah. And I just feel like that's how this whole story plays out is like a little bit, it's holding your hand and pulling you like, at 1.5 speed through the world, but you catch up as you go along. And it allows for (laughs) just laughs and fun, and it never pauses to explain to you how much fun you're supposed to be having while you're reading it, you know? I feel like there are a lot of books and that try to be clever, that try to be exciting, and they're almost so excited about what they've got that they over-explain it. Yeah. And this is very much just a you're along for a fun ride kind of story. Yeah. And I mean, that's a thing that you and I talk about quite a bit with storytelling in general is just like, please show, don't tell. Don't tell me what to think. Don't tell me what I need to get out of this. Don't tell me what the message is. Just show it to me and let me be along with it and make those decisions myself. And when that does happen well, like it does in this book, it's it's so much more fun. 
It's true. So with that being said, what do you feel like this book is about? So granted, a synopsis would be Hobo's Traveled Rock Candy Mountain, right? But like, what do you feel like Kyle Starks is trying to tell you with this story? That's a hard question, really, because the themes, they are light enough that you could, they're like little threads of themes all over the place that are fun, but they don't like stick together, which is good because it kind of makes you think, you know? And so for me, I think it's kind of facing up to really kind of impossible odds, no matter the cost even if that involves selling the soul to your devil, selling your soul to the devil and just keep on trying no matter what. How about you? I like that. Um, I feel like I got a really big vibe for just the inherent worth of a soul. You know, like we were introduced to these characters that all just assumed they were going to hell. Right. Like they had a whole mythology about a backdoor into heaven because they're like, Oh, because of my, economic state because of the decisions I've had to make because I'm on the outskirts of society. I get to go to hell. Like I'm not who you picture being in heaven. And the story goes out of its way multiple times to show you how good the people around you are. Like there's this whole great conversation between Hollywood Slim and the devil about his soul. And he's like, Oh, well I can't sell you my soul. I'm already going to hell. And the devil just laughs. He's like, boy, you're so pure. Are you kidding me? You are not going, you've got a good soul. Yeah. And I feel like that's the, this meta commentary about people in general. Like I feel like so many of us are so hard on ourselves and we may perceive ourselves as worthless or because of wherever we sit in life, we are worth less than the people next to us. Yeah. And I feel like this book stares that problem right in the eyes and says, no, everybody has worth. Everybody mm-hmm. has something to contribute. But again, it doesn't, it's not like this big treatise on that. That's just like a theme that I picked up on along the way of a really fun story. Yeah. Cause it doesn't definitely doesn't treat the tramps with respect. So it's kind of like <laughs> everyone, but tramps <laughs> <laughs> and bums apparently, but we didn't bump into any of those, Nope. but it is true. And that's another thing that I did really like is Jackson. The main character takes such good care of Hollywood slim as his friend, just because he like decided that they were friends. And I've, read a lot of stories about that lately and I feel like it shows up all over, you know, like the brotherhood and people sticking up for each other. But I feel like we love that so much because it's something we want so bad is to be like accepted and to have people look out for us. And it it really makes me think that just kind of like these hobos, they have a community and they helped each other out and they did things for each other. And we're always there because they we're kind of in pain together. And it really makes me think about kind of like, how do I treat the people around me? And like, how am I there for those people? Am I the one who reaches out and tries to help them when they have trouble or who will stand up for my friends even more than they'll stand up for themselves? Yeah. There is kind of this through line of the idea of the adopted family, right? The family that you choose for yourself. And that's something I was able to have a really meaningful conversation with one of our roommates about last night. Just the fact, like, just because you're far away from family or just because you weren't born into this unit doesn't mean that these people love you any less, right? And you can pick up people along the way that end up meaning a lot to you. And a huge tell of your character and what makes you the protagonist of life, I would argue, is your treatment of those people that you pick up along the way. And I yeah. think... Jackson does a phenomenal job with that as our protagonist 
he is always kind. He's always adventurous and he's bringing people with him towards his final goal. That's honestly, it ends up being kind of salvific for these people. They end up creating a little family for themselves. They end up having a purpose where they were just drifting before. Yeah. And that is a really cool theme during the whole thing, especially, especially like Jackson has a lot of reasons to be selfish. Mm -hmm. You know, he can win any fight because he traded the soul, his soul to the devil. And then he is out there like helping other people with that a lot of times. And it's, it really is cool just to see somebody. And when you like know the reasons why he sold his soul to the devil, it makes so much more sense that he's really just so unselfish. Yeah, for sure. Um, kind of drifting back towards craft with the story, something that, I've been reading a decent amount of manga lately in preparation for an episode a couple weeks out. So <laughs> there's a sneak peek for you guys. We're going to be talking about a manga soon. But I really, I felt the need to, to praise manga for their ability to um, like choreograph fighting, right? Mm-hmm. And just these big bombastic ideas and people clashing. And it's always fun. I mean, Dragon Ball Z was huge. And that whole thing is just shirtless people shouting and fighting. Right. Um, but what I found in the manga is a little bit of the storytelling kind of gets lost for the sake of these really cool images. Right. Uh-huh. And that's something that I feel rock candy mountain does better than almost anything else I've read in recent memory is choreographing fights, choreographing action sequences. Like I never feel like I'm missing a beat yeah. on this big adventure. There are multiple strung out fight scenes that are amazing you know, yeah, and I, I it's don't like, get lost. It's telling a story of the fight. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've definitely seen this in comics where it's just like, here's a montage of a bunch of cool images from the fight, which is like cool, but it doesn't have the storytelling. Like there's a part in the, in a train, they're fighting on top of a train and some guy gets kicked between the two cars and falls and lands and almost dies. And it jumps back to the thing when the fight's all over, this guy's still like squished between these two cars. And he's like, can somebody come get me? And it really is funny how it's all over the place. And it actually has threads that last through the whole fight, which is not something I see as often as I wish I saw it. That's true. So what do you feel like we can take from Rock Candy Mountain that we haven't seen in the comics we've talked about before? And what do you feel like it does for the comics community? What do I feel like it does for the comics community? Dallas, you're so much better at comics community questions than I am. <laughs> you, my mean, comics community is like you and our roommate, Jacob. <laughs> I mean, like, I feel like they're, maybe I was asking a weighty question, but I feel like that, that we were talking about, there are certain storytelling talents that Kyle Starks has that I would love to see picked up oh, in more oh, yeah. action comics. I feel like memorable characters. I feel like I... Kyle Starks would do an amazing job on any given superhero book because he just created a hobo superhero for us, you know, and a problem that the big two um, Marvel and the distinguished competition run into is that sounds like your favorite one there. Dallas. No, the other comic book company that shall not be named. Fine. Detective comics. And they they have so many characters that rely so much on you 
reading a one storyline once and remembering it forever. You know, there'll be these big reveals that you talked about this with when we were on with Matt Rosenberg about the X-Men. Like you look at a giant room and you're just expected to know all these characters and there aren't really anything there to make you care to remember. You know, it's like, Oh, you also blast stuff from your hands. Very neat. Can you imagine the talents that made Clanimal and Hundred Cat on a Spider-Man book? You know, yeah, it's feel like it especially be fun with something with like a lot of characters where it's kind of like each character gets so much and they are different from all the others. Like that was the thing that impressed me about Assassination, the other book of his that we read, is that it's about like the top twenty assassins and each of them is different. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, we don't spend a ton of time on all of them, but the characterization of these really diverse people in a very short amount of time is super impressive. So with that being said, if you could pitch a book to Kyle Starks, because he tweeted us the other day, I'm pretty sure he's going to listen to this. So he's listening, pitch a book that you want him to write. And if you need a second, I have one off the top of my head. Yeah. It sounds like you're, you're (laughs) ready and waiting. It's an oddly specific question that you've thought through. I, I just need it because each of his books is something specific, right? And it's each a genre piece. I need like a class classic schlocky Kung Fu movie comic book from Kyle Starks. Like I need crouching tiger, hidden dragon standing on the top of bamboo, like swinging swords at each other, flying through the air kind of action about some hero's quest thing I'm going to do with Kung Fu fights. I need it. I need it now in my veins. So get on that, sir. That would be fun. I'm not as much of a Kung Fu fan. The thing that I think would be fun is if it was some sort of like reluctant hero, but like really reluctant hero, like actually doesn't want to participate at all, but keeps on getting dragged into things. That would be fun. Because I really like the characterization, which I feel like would make that fun. Mm-hmm. And part of that is I, I do like character stories more than I just like superhero stories. That's true. So that'd even be, that'd be a fun take on a superhero story where like you've got the superhero with the rogues gallery. Right. And each rogue comes and they're like, will you fight me please? Like no one else like, has a competition. Like the cops can't do it. And the cops are like this huge joke in the back. Like, ah. <laughs> like they can't stop me. And it's boring if you're not fighting. Like, yeah, it's like Superman retires and everybody's like, wait, I, I need to fight somebody. And he's like, no, leave me alone. Yeah, it's like, it's the thing they've experimented with with Batman forever that they all think is so clever. But they're like, if there's no Batman, there's no need for a Joker. Oh, he's the real problem. That'd be so funny to actually play with. Like, yeah, Batman's gone. Batman quits. And the Joker's like, please, please fight me. And it's like, I'd want it to be a new character or something, yeah, but yeah. I'd. I would love the reluctant hero. That'd be a really good time. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say about Rock Candy Mountain, Mountain in particular? The language is fantastic. I I wish that we could have read you more of the panels of the hobos talking and not making any sense. But really, it's just super fun. It really is. And it's a fun book to read all in one go. I know listening to an interview with Kyle Starks not that long ago, he, he voiced that he was disappointed that the book came in two volumes because he felt like everyone picked up volume one and then no one bothered to pick up volume two to see how it finished. He wishes it could have been like one solid tome. And so I would, I mean, we bought them 
both at the same time, I would highly recommend doing that, going to your local comic shop and asking for volumes one and two of Rock Candy Mountain. Because it's the kind of thing that you're going to want to read in one sitting and fall in love with. Like the story is fast paced. The the writing is quippy. You, you'll you get it done in a couple hours and it'll be... It's 10 issues. It's It's not long. Yeah. It'll be the most fun you've had in a long time. So if what we've described, hobo, fights, <laughs> crazy characters, the devil, the devil, a um, racist, <laughs> the devil, a racist, wait, he's in the White House. Um, <laughs> I had to bring it in. I had to do it to him. No, I'm being you're good. doing so good at not getting on Twitter and I'm engaging in all the I have politics. To, I have to stay away from politics. Um, if that sounds like something fun to you, please go out and buy this book. Please support this awesome fun person that we have really enjoyed so he can make more books so he can yeah, make that kung fu we want book for kyle me. starks to make more comics so uh yeah that'd be super great all right and here at the end we're gonna plug some stuff for the podcast um like we referenced in here we have done interviews on the podcast so if this is your first time go back listen we've had a great interview with max dunbar matt rosenberg and philip sevy all phenomenal comics creators, really good conversations with them. We do this every week on Thursday. Word of mouth goes a really long way. If you're listening to this and you know somebody that likes comic books, let them know about our podcast. Send us suggestions about what you want us to read, and we'll probably end up doing it. Oh, yeah, totally. And you can reach us at dtrcomics at gmail.com. That's our email, you can send us a question about ourselves, about the books we're reading. Send us suggestions. We'll read it on the air. You can tweet at us, which will be pretty effective, at ComicsDTR. Or we're going to get our Instagram rolling. There's nothing on there right now, but it's DTRComicsPodcast underscore. So go reach out to us on all the medias that are social. Send us an email. Talk to us. Interact with us. We really appreciate you for listening here. And we'll be back next week. Yeah. See you next week. Bye.